0: Hi, my name is Tina Guo, and you are listening to the Modern Music Teachers podcast.
1: We are talking to world-renowned Grammy-nominated cellist and composer, who is also the notable soloist on the electric cello creating the theme for Wonder Woman in Batman versus Superman with Hans Zimmer. Anywhere that you find music, you've worked on hundreds of records, you've done so much work in the music industry, so it's really a privilege to be able to speak to the one and only Tina Guo. Thank you for spending the time with us this evening.
0: Oh no, you guys are far too kind, far too nice. Thank you, and thank you for speaking with me.
2: We usually discuss educational methodologies, but one subject that is very much understated and very much looked over is the financial side of being a musician and being a teacher and just being freelance person in this industry that we're in. And even I remember being in college, John and I, we were both music majors as a piano performance major. And uh, even as I was getting my master's, we did have a pedagogical section, never a business section. There was very, very, very little information regarding how to financially stabilize yourself, what kind of you know business plan you should have if you did want to be a freelance musician or go through that entrepreneurial route that a lot of us musicians have to go. Through. and we're excited to, to speak to you about
0: thank you me too I am very very obviously very passionate about music about eating food uh, about my dogs and about financial independence uh, especially for musicians because that's what I am so I'm super happy to be talking to you guys about this
1: I guess the best place to start off is when it comes to music, what are some of the most common financial mistakes that are made by freelance entrepreneurial musicians?
0: Okay, well, um, I feel like for musicians, it's pretty much the same uh, as for all people, you know, because we're basically all the same in our habits. And so, what I've seen, this might not be completely true, but just from my own, you know, um, uh, from my own eyes and what I've experienced, is a lot of people not having an emergency fund. Uh, Not having a prepping for a rainy day, which obviously is very applicable right now. Of course, there's a lot of stuff that I could go into with that where you know, uh, maybe you don't make enough or you barely make enough to get by, et cetera. We could talk more about that um, to be able to have uh, a a savings fund. Um, I think it's a very uh, dangerous mentality to always assume that things will continue forever, that you'll never have, I mean, knock on wood, you know, but that you'll never have an accident uh, and even sprain your finger. I mean, something that little can cause a lot of issues if you're a musician, you know, Um, and then not budgeting and tracking your income and expenses, which I feel like surprisingly most people don't do. Uh, Again, I might be wrong, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, for for me, I (laughs) might be on the opposite extreme of that where I'm literally tracking you know, multiple times a day, updating my spreadsheets, exactly what goes in and what goes out. Um, But at least having some kind of general idea of what we're doing financially. Um, And then I think just, uh, you know, generally not saving and paying yourself first and really taking the time to think about it, just like you would analyze a piece of music You don't just like sit down and just start playing it. You're hopefully when you practice analyzing very carefully each measure, how you're going to interpret something, how you're going to what the best fingering is. It's really the same thing, but taking that and applying it to like your life and your finances, which is, you know, even bigger, I
2: think. Funny thing is that it sounds like one of my lessons when I speak to my students where I tell them before you even start a piece of music, you need to be analyzing what goes on in the music. You need to be practicing in a detailed manner and really know what's going on in the piece and what you need to be able to produce the sound that's going to be the music that you're playing. And I think that's a great way to look at the finances where you are taking a good look at it. You are being detailed and you're knowledgeable about what you need to get from point A to point B.
1: I like how you brought up also that it's not necessarily just a habit that's for musicians, but it's a habit that a lot of people share regardless of industry. You know, I think a lot of financial habits start with, you know, being able to, like you said, look at what's coming in, look at what you're able to afford, look what you're able to spend and really work there. And in general you know, especially here, I think in the US, you have a lot of people who kind of, you know, may live a little bit above their means and may not necessarily look into, okay, this is what's going out. And this is what I'm making. And this is what I can really leverage in uh, some sort of financial stability way.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, uh, maybe I'm, a, again, I'm a bit of an extremist. Let, okay, let's not kid ourselves. I am an extremist <laughs> in many ways, right? um, about practicing like crazy, about working like crazy, about saving like crazy. But the thing is, when people expect amazing results without putting in an amazing level of effort that makes no sense right so um you know what i've read is you have to be saving until it hurts yes it's again it's extreme uh, i've i've had some you know, when I, when I post on social media sometimes because I am passionate about it and I'll write something. And, uh, you know, m- most of the comments are usually positive and, yeah, let's save and be responsible. But once in a while, there'll be the person who um, is obviously not welcoming <laughs> my unsolicited advice, which isn't on their wall, it's on my wall, um, and saying, well, I can do what I want with my money. You know, like I made a post about Starbucks and I, I love Starbucks. Like I absolutely love Starbucks. If I get a gift card, I, I'm going to go there like two times a day until the gift card runs out um and on occasion i'll pay for it myself with my own money but it is a a pretty extravagant i think expense not just for musicians or whoever but for everyone to have on a regular basis um if you calculate how much money that you're spending on that when it is something that's not an absolute necessity um and so i think if you're not willing to sacrifice anything and you're not willing to uh like you said give up Uh, not having the latest iPhone or even two, you know, two generations ago, if you're not willing, if there's nothing you're willing to give up on, then don't expect to get ahead. Um, and I know it's difficult, uh, and it's really, really, um, it's, it's embarrassing sometimes, you know, maybe the things that you have to do, especially as a musician, because, uh, most of us don't Make a lot of money. Um, Both of my parents. So my I was raised by two music teachers. Uh, They never were uh, employed by like a company or a school. So they're private music teachers. They teach from home uh, seven days a week, Uh, and they've been very lucky over the years to have been able to build uh, an amazing studio, a large studio. They're not teaching anymore right now because of the virus situation. But um, but thankfully they have amassed uh, a good amount of savings. Um, And I think like you mentioned our our money habits and our relationship that we have with money obviously comes from our parents and the people or whoever raised us and who were around. Um, (laughs) And I used to think, Oh my God. They're so, I mean, talking about extreme, I'm like, you guys are crazy. You're so extreme with your savings, but they really ingrained it, uh, into me growing up. So I think I owe it to them, but just really, really, uh, you know, having a plan and saving as much as you can. Um, I'm I'm sure you have questions that'll be you know, specifically related to that. So I'll stop.
1: Now, kind of speaking to a little bit of that, uh, what are some of the resources that help you manage your finances in the music industry? One thing that I love that you always bring up is Google Spreadsheets. It's one of the simplest apps you can talk about in terms of like what's out there in terms of cost. But it really is the one that can help you break down so much of your expenses over the course of a year. Uh, So what are some of your favorite resources, whether they're apps, whether they're books, whatever the case may be?
0: Um, you know, I only have one and it is Google spreadsheets. Uh, I used to use another one. So when I was on tour with the Cirque du Soleil, um, this was about 10 years ago. So I was on tour with them for two years. Uh, and at that time I had almost $100,000 worth of debt. So it was a combination of student loans, instrument loans, credit card loans, because I had to take um, a lot of money out to even pay. I, was, uh, I mean, I could go on about this forever, but for a while I was living in like a garage. With no heat and no air conditioning, for to, to save money, but I couldn't even afford. Uh, I didn't have enough gigs to even cover some of that, so I was taking cash out for that, um, and so I had amassed uh, quite a bit of debt. Um, and in order to pay that off, and I did pay all of it off, I set myself on a crazy budget of uh, twenty dollars a week uh, expenditure. Of obviously, it's, um, expenditure obviously, it's easy to do that if you're on tour. Um, but I did find that um, not everybody on tour, even if all of their food and living expenses are covered, are being very careful with their money, you know, so, um, I did use an app. It was called my budget (laughs) app. I don't know if it's still out there, but I'm sure there's a million other budget apps where you just kind of have it on your phone. You track whatever you spend. Um, and then once you've hit your $20 or whatever you set for yourself, it'll give you a red. And then hopefully you'll listen to the app and stop. Um, but now I track everything on Google spreadsheets. I have, uh, only two, I have one for income and the one for expenses. And those are separated into different columns. So, um, for my income, I have personal income, which is very, very few things still go to me directly as, uh, my legal name is Ting, Tinguo. Um, and most of my income goes through my business. So now I just moved to Las Vegas and I have a LLC that was open here in uh, Nevada. Uh, and then the third column is uh, my merchandise store uh, income, which is also business income, but I, for some reason I just keep that separate. Uh, and then for expenses, it is a very, <laughs> a very, very, very wide uh, expense sheet, which has literally anything you can think of um, that is possibly uh, a write-off or a potential a partial write-off. And then on the very right are things that are not write-offable, like uh, dog toys, dog. Food. It's mostly related to my dogs, to the fur kids. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, I just I just put everything on there and for me I actually uh, it makes me feel relaxed it's like a meditative experience to really go in there uh, and at the end of each month I'll just like highlight all of the uh, the boxes for each month and see Hmm, Tina how much did you spend on you know on pizza this month and I'll look at it and then I'll say is that reasonable or should I control myself so it's just a nice way to self-reflect like a journal but just with your numbers
1: Now, I like also how you talk about, you know, you did accrue a certain amount of debt, you were able to pay it off. But even just kind of talking to you, you know, you talk about investments, you're investing in an instrument or you're investing in a certain piece of gear that you'll need that you know, how do you leverage what you know is going to be an investment and something that maybe let's say a little bit more of an expenditure because your first one of your first investments was um, a cello, right? Yes. And
0: that was um, not on purpose, actually, because at the time. So I was a student at USC and I had a cello very generously on loan from the Cole Brown Foundation. Um, but I actually left school two and a half years into it because I was getting very busy trying to work to make money because I did have a full scholarship for the tuition, but it didn't cover any living expenses, food, books, you know, anything extra, which is a lot, you know, in Los Angeles, even back in the day, even back then. Um and so I was kind of stuck in a spot where it's either I stopped going to school because I would lose my scholarship because I was leaving so often to to work and to perform. Um, or I would really try to put everything into my career uh, and try to get more work. And so obviously I chose the latter. Um, I I completely forgot. Oh yes. The cello. So (laughs) at the time I wasn't quite as organized. Uh, Apparently I'm still not as organized uh, mentally, but, um, I didn't realize that that would mean I would no longer have a cello to play. So I leave school and then I get an email from the Cole Brown foundation. Hey, Tina, we need your cello back. Um, so I returned the cello and I had no instrument. So I panicked. Uh, I reached out to a lot of different, uh, foundations and for whatever reason, shortage of cellos, I was not very well known, uh, Back then, so I don't think anyone really cared to loan me an instrument, um, so I couldn't I couldn't get an instrument to borrow that was um, I felt that I felt was a good quality, um, and so I was trying to figure out what to do, and I ended up finding a cello at Hans Weisar uh, I think they've moved, but they used to be in Hollywood, um, mm-hmm. and the cello uh, it was the was it, I think it was actually during the economic crisis as well. So I did get a pretty good discount on it because the collector that owned a bunch of instruments was liquidating all of the instruments. Um, They couldn't tell me who, it was like a secret sale. They couldn't say who it was. Um, But I acquired that cello uh, at a very steep discount. I think it was 60,000, 65,000 at the time. Um, And I paid for most of it by, that was a lot of my debt actually maxing out every credit card. I took out a loan from, uh, at the time I was a member of the musicians union, a full member. Um, and I will always be grateful that their musicians union instrument loan program did give me, uh, a, par- a part of the money for the loan, even though I didn't qualify. I went in there and I begged and I pleaded and I said, I swear to you, I will work. I will do anything I have to do, you know, to, to make sure I pay you guys on time. Cause the payments were quite significant for the cello every month. Um, sure. And so, yeah, so I ended up buying the cello myself. Uh, it turned out to be a very good investment because the value has uh, almost doubled um, now. And I do own it outright. I paid it off, uh, I don't know, maybe eight eight years ago or so. Um, but basically, I just lived like uh, a popper until I paid off all my debt. And so, uh, that did take quite a few, uh, quite a few years. So that was the thing with the cello. And as far as other expenses and, uh, f- you know, for tax wise, obviously any instruments or business expenses that you have are tax deductible. Um, and then on top of that, you can also take a devaluation of your equipment. Okay. Yeah. So you can also write that off over time. So that is a tax benefit. Um, but there's definitely benefits to, uh, Purchasing equipment that you actually need for your craft
1: and I like how you made that distinction I like how you said that you didn't just skimp on the gear you knew that the gear was going to be your livelihood You knew that this was going to be the instrument that not only would you use for recordings, you'd use for their performance and everything, basically, that you've done um, in your career. You know, living so close to New York City, we hear kind of conflicting advice about musicians being part of a union. Um, You know, there are some people on Broadway who say, you know, don't join a union necessarily until you have to. What do you find are some of the pros and the cons for being part of a musician's union in general? You know, because you hear a lot about, depending on where a musician is, let's say in their life cycle, You may hear some that say it's better off to be independent and just kind of work with that you hear others that do like that stability of the unionship as well.
0: Right, well I think uh, that uh, union situation for musicians is highly dependent on where you live and where you work. I don't have any experience in New York so I can't speak to that um, but I did live in LA for you know a decade until I moved to Vegas uh, last week. Um, so uh, In the very beginning when I first moved to LA in 2004 I joined the union I think probably two years into that after I started getting calls um, for the union like orchestral Dates, uh, so I joined, um, but I had some issues because I was also doing non-union dates, um, and so I became a FI Core member, and I've been a FI Core member ever since. So I'm still FI Core, which means that you are a dues-paying non-member, um, so you. Are openly doing union and non-union work. Um, that is an entire, you know, can of worms that I don't. You know, I don't know if we want to go too deeply into. But obviously, the general idea around unions is a good one. You know, to protect power and numbers, to protect musicians. I just want to, to remind people, though, to be aware of the advances in technology. That things are not the way they were even five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago. Um, for me. I would say 99% of my work is all non-union. It's independent, uh, contracted directly to myself or my company. There, I don't know what the future holds, you know, for the union. So I think um, it also depends on what you're comfortable with. If you are really passionate about working in a group, and some people love orchestral music. I mean, I like orchestral music too, but for me, I prefer uh, to work solo to work independently uh, or in smaller groups but if you some people love you know the interaction or the symphonic experience and so if you're into that then it probably would be better to be in the union because I think again I'm, I'm not sure I've been out of that scene for so long but I think some of the major orchestras for movies or projects like that are still done union which is great you know if that's possible but unfortunately due to the ease of air transportation minus coronavirus but you know how things work
1: yeah
0: yeah yeah it makes it very 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 difficult to try to bargain when you can simply just go elsewhere very quickly or step on the computer and and do it that way
2: what are some of the multiple streams of income that would be available to musicians and would be you know just good avenues and options for them to consider
0: yeah definitely so as far as um streams of income that are within you know using your music skills i definitely recommend to everyone if it's possible um to learn how to record yourself it's a very very uh simple thing to do nowadays with our amazing computers and whatnot that we have um until uh, like a month ago i was still using the same microphone Uh, i had a rode nt uh 1000 that i got from sam ash is that what you guys are using
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah for for a decade and I, I use it on major projects on, on everything on my albums. Um, and so you have that microphone, you have a simple interface and you have your computer and most people have a computer of course. Um, and you're able to record yourself. So even if it's a simple classical solo piece, maybe a Bach piece or whatnot, um, it's easy, fast and cheap to put it up online on iTunes, Spotify. Um, even though it's not a huge amount of money, every penny counts. It's all about, you know, having, like you said, multiple streams that all collect into one bag. Basket. So that's one idea. So I, I, uh, before I signed to Sony, I was putting out my music through CD baby. Um, but there's many, many other distributors that you can use. Um, you can also make money from YouTube residuals. So for me, uh, now, cause we're in quarantine for a while, right. Um, I'm hoping to be able to film lots of videos here. Once I have my home studio finished, uh, being set up, uh, on, you know, cello tutorials, tutorials about different things, maybe gear review, um, microphone reviews. I have some new microphones that I received uh, you know, performance videos, all of this stuff. If it's not, if you're playing classical music, especially, but, um, even if you are doing covers, you still get a portion of the revenue from YouTube, but there is money to be made uh, on YouTube. Again, it's not a ton. Um, but for me, I usually make about I would say like 900 to a thousand every two months, um, in, in streaming revenue income through YouTube. So it's actually a significant amount. So it's nothing to, you know, to, to say, Oh, it's not a big deal. Yes. I have a lot of videos up, but if you just start today, uh, and you put up one video a week, even if it's very, very simple, um, it's about regularity and then building a, um, a family, like a, a community on YouTube. Cause if you only post one video every six months, you know, it's like a TV channel that has no shows going on for six months. Um, Um, so that's one thing that you can do Um, for me another thing I've done is that I have uh, sample libraries which again is also a little bit uh, especially with Union uh, musician situation but um, I've made a sample library two of them uh, of myself so that's basically a virtual instrument like a robot version of me uh, that composers and producers can use in their um, in their compositions Uh, so you can look into that because there are companies that are recording people for sample libraries and the reason that I do that um, with no No hesitation is because I truly believe that in the end, a live musician can't be replaced. And if you really know what you're doing, no matter how good a sample is, even for my own sample library, you can tell that it's not real. You know, you can tell that it's a very good sample. Um, And if you can't tell, then okay, you know. But for people who really know what it's supposed to sound like, you you, there is a big difference there. So I feel like um, in certain applications where maybe there's a very small budget, it's just not possible to hire someone um, or to hire a group. That's a great option to have. Uh, production music. So I also do compose music, and I uh, I've had you know little licenses for different in TV shows, uh, commercials, trailers, and stuff like that. So that's something people can look into um, by Googling online how to do that. And there is a demand for every type of music. So it doesn't have to be you know, really epic sounding, cinematic, huge productions. There's actually um, a market for everything. Um, uh, let me see, obviously working as a recording musician. So especially if you're able to record yourself, you can work for people um, anywhere. Uh, so yesterday I finished a recording session for a composer In Italy, um, and he actually is under quarantine, but you know, everyone, I mean, he's still working, and so I did a session for him. Um, I have a couple other sessions coming up, and it's all done remotely. So I think that's really something that not enough musicians have looked into and built, and it really is worth the investment. Uh, And it usually doesn't cost even the price of a, of a bow, you know, if you're a string player. Uh, sorry, I'm going to go a little bit faster. A few more things. Uh, oh, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Uh, performing, you know, doing gigs. I played so many weddings and bar mitzvahs and funerals, sadly. Um, everything you could possibly imagine. I used to get every gig that I had off Craigslist uh, when I first started because I didn't know where else to start, but it actually worked out. And I um, I was playing in a lot of the clubs, you know, uh, in Hollywood. And then you just slowly, I, I literally was just trying to get out there and play as much as possible because nobody knew who I was and I needed the experience. So I think to get out there and perform. Um teaching is a big one. Uh and I still teach on occasion. I, I'm not able to regularly because of my travel schedule, but uh teaching is a big one. And both of my parents again are full-time music teachers. Uh and uh together with uh very very careful saving they've been able to go from like super poverty to I think a very comfortable place so that's totally possible um, you can give other people consultations which is kind of the same thing as teaching um, you can buy and sell things online that can be related to music instruments it can be related to other stuff I still sell things online on occasion if I see something that I'm like okay that's really worth a lot more than that um, I'll also be flipping I mean it's like <laughs> there's no, nothing nothing is, uh, is too much or too little and then the final one because uh, I've been going on way too long is, uh, maybe making a Patreon account. Um, and so I do have a Patreon account and you can either set it so that people can, uh, donate money, uh, to you, to you per month or per video project or per whatever you're doing. Um, and for a long time, I kind of was uncomfortable with that because I felt like, Oh, I don't want to be asking people for money. If I'm also selling my music, you know, it feels a little bit weird. Um, but I realized that it's, it's, you can't quite think of it that way because Uh, No matter what, I'll still be putting out my music and my videos. I'll self-finance it like I've done with most of my projects. Um, And it's just simply giving people the opportunity to be involved because a lot of people do want to be involved and they really love your music or your art or whatever, you know, whatever you do. Um, And for them, they are happy to be a part of it. And so you are giving people the opportunity um, to be involved with some perks.
2: I think that kind of ties into another question that we were going to discuss as well. And that's really the importance of technology in today's day as a business owner, as a musician, even as a teacher, because the situation we're in right now, there is an entire group on Facebook where there's the greatest piano teachers in the U.S. and around the world are all talking about online lessons and how to really build a market right now, because that's what a lot of us teachers, that's the only option that we have right now and especially in an area so close to New York City where it is spreading quickly and it is a real concern we want to be ready technologically with online lessons we want to you know we want to have that curriculum that plan and that knowledge of of how to do online lessons but I think just having a technology background and and being embraced in in what's going on today with technology and the benefits and advantages that it can have is something that will greatly benefit musicians nowadays.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and I meet a lot of people who tell me, "Tina, I can't do it. It's too complicated." And I tell them, "Listen, if you can play an instrument, if you can literally take a wooden box, you know, and some pieces of metal and actually make music from it, it's not too complicated. It is very easy. If you can use an iPhone, you can figure out how to use, you know, Skype or Zoom um, or how to edit videos or edit photos or it's all super, super simple, I promise. Um, and I think uh, you're absolutely right. To, to be able to have those tools in your arsenal, especially nowadays, uh, is really a necessity. And I think, uh, this situation, if there's any positive to come from it, I think we'll all have a lot of time to self-reflect a lot of time to write new music, a lot of time to make plans and stuff. And I think taking the opportunity to research about some of these things that you might not know about, watch some tutorials. That's how I learned. Um, one, one thing I remember when I was learning how to use final cut, which is what I use to edit my music videos. Cause I do edit myself. Um, I was confused about how to do masking, which is I saw a video where it's like two of the same person and they're th- like talking to each other. And I thought, oh, it'd be fun if I made like a video of me playing with, uh, you know, myself in a duet. And I didn't know how to do it. And I'm like, oh, it's too hard. Maybe I should hire an editor. So I was online. I went to YouTube and I, I looked up how to mask. And I'm not exaggerating. The kid was literally nine years old. A nine-year-old <laughs> child was like, blah, 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 And he explained how to do it in three minutes. And I felt so, I mean, it was amazing. And I, I learned how to do it. And was very simple but I was so embarrassed I'm like here I was almost like willing to give up and ready to hire somebody when a nine-year-old kid can teach you how to do it for free on YouTube so I always say you know use Google as your best friend YouTube is amazing has so many so you can literally learn anything on there so if you just go on there take a look it's great because you can actually you know visually also see not just read about it but see how it's done and that helps a lot
1: I think that's extremely important for a lot of musicians and even people in a lot of different fields to recognize, too, because we speak so much about the modernity of, let's say, 2019, 2020. And as we're talking about the modernity of being a modern musician. But the thing is, it's not just a matter of, okay, now you have to get great at recording, at art, at video production. It's not only that. It's just that you have the resources there, as you said you know there's great tutorials from people who just really want to release the knowledge on YouTube if you do want to get something that does feel more official you know you have your lindas.com you have a lot of these different resources that you can go to it's a real important fact and topic to really make sure that people know that if you want to have the information and you really want to learn a new skill now access to information is so much more abundant and so much easier to attain than let's say even 20 years ago and even now in the situation that we find ourselves in with um you know as sonya was saying with teaching online lessons a lot of the fear and anxiety that comes around okay now i have to take this out of the one-on-one room and move it into a video conference Um, i've been doing skype lessons now for a couple years and for me i've really gotten into a mode of okay here's how to aim the camera here's how to change it slightly because when you're one-on-one with somebody the teaching is very different than it is when you're you know, on video. But the concept is the same. You can now do Google Doc screen share. You can have Google Drive folders where you upload the music. Uh, you can make sure you have a copy of the music. And I think you can really continue to use technology to create that environment from a teaching perspective. But now you just bring it all around and you say you can basically do everything that you ever want with the modernity of music. And I love that. I think that's great.
0: Right, right. And of course, you know, lessons in person is always the best. You know, there's many things that can't be done online. However, having that option uh, is important, definitely important. Not I mean, even and I was saying this even before this madness started, you know, and um, but I think, again, On a positive note, uh, people will be far more aware of different things that they maybe need to spend some time researching and looking into.
1: It seems like there's a lot that you bring from other professions. You know, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, but from like a financial perspective and kind of the micromanagement, you tend to take a little bit from other professions outside of music. Uh, Do you find a benefit in looking at the other professions for useful uh, financial advice and other habits as well?
0: Oh, Um, yeah. I mean, as far as like other professions, I'm not uh, if you if you're referring to maybe uh, like financial advisors or or maybe entrepreneurs or whatnot. But Uh, I I feel like in general, again, like uh, I'm a I guess I'm a very like I feel like people like to. Put things into little boxes and okay musician and this and that and blah 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 blah. oh i'm a musician i don't know business i'm like what are you talking about business you are a business you know that is that's you're living in denial if you think you don't have to know about business because you're a musician and then turn around and complain that you don't have any money you know because it's it's all of these things have to work together it doesn't matter what you do business or what we refer to as business is a part of everyone's, uh, existence. Cause that's just the way it is. Um, and so I think being responsible, being self-responsible, because unfortunately, um, currently, like you mentioned, I, even when I was in college, we had zero business or, you know, personal finance or personal accountability courses or anything under, you know, in that vein at all, there's nothing about that. I mean, you learn about Baroque music and advanced music theory, level seven, and it's, you know, stuff that, Okay, that's great, but can do you remember any of it? I don't remember a single thing I learned. <laughs> and, and, and almost none of it has been applicable to real life. So um, I really think that uh, music education in this country, maybe in other countries, I'm not sure what it is, but that it is important to actually add those courses um, to people's curriculum, not just in music uh, universities, but overall in, in every major. I mean, basic life skills I think is very very important to teach. Yeah, I mean, I, I I try to learn something new every day. You know, I really love to read articles about finance specifically, but other things. You know, so I think if you just go online, and now nobody has an excuse. You go online, you know, for an hour out of your 24 hours a day. You know, what are you gonna do? And just you know, instead of Netflixing all day, or which can be very very uh, easy do because i like to do that as well but um just you know search for a couple things maybe uh, go on to youtube um and i like to look up you know i don't know uh, investment advice. Although right now, you know, the stock market, that's like an, a totally different thing. Yeah, uh, investment yeah. advice or, or, uh, savings advice or how to blah, blah, blah. You can just like literally type in anything and somebody will have made, not somebody, a thousand people would have made videos about it. Um, and I find it very entertaining. I feel like I can learn things from it. Um, and there's a few people on YouTube that I personally really like Dave Ramsey. He does air, I don't know if, you know, people are religious or not. I'm not personally religious, but he does air more on on the side of, he's very religious, but his financial advice, um, I feel like is very sound. It is quite conservative and hardcore, but um, I think it's good. Uh, Dan Locke, uh, what, what does he call himself? I think Millionaire in the Bentley or something, I'm not, I, but his his stuff is cool. Um, Warren Buffett, I love all of his stuff. Rich uh, uh, Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad, he's had a lot of videos on there, or um, even videos from his live uh, speeches that he's done. I mean, you don't even have to pay for this. It's free. You know, people pay thousands and thousands of dollars to attend Seminars and there's videos online um, from all of these great, amazing teachers for absolutely free, and it's shocking that people don't um, don't take advantage of it. Uh, So also Gary V is great. You can sign up for his uh, texts. You can follow him on Instagram. So yeah, there's a lot of different uh, sources. And again, if you find reading articles boring, you know, because a lot of times you you tell somebody here read this book and it's this thick. It's like oh my god, I don't I don't want to read this. This is boring. Sometimes watching videos is a lot more. It's a lot easier to do. You know, it's a lot more entertaining to do and you find somebody that communicates in a way that you like uh, and then perhaps you'll be entertained and also learn something.
1: One of the questions we were going to ask is what books and resources would you recommend for musicians to uh, help th- develop their financial responsibility? Um, but you kind of answered it too with a lot of these free resources too. If you want to give any, perfect. But I think it's true when it comes to, um, you know, especially your Warren Buffett's and Gary V's. And I think they get kind of a bad rap sometimes because they have these very headline phrases that people will highlight highlight they'll put a certain word in yellow and it'll be like hard times or something like that but it's really the big like headline concept is the thing that draws you in but if you listen to these like you said these free resources or even you know look into some of these books you find that the headline is really what it's about it's really about getting your mind around making money work for you and really kind of looking into I think we go to Starbucks kind of because it's like the the easiest thing to visualize for a lot of people. But it's representative of, you know, the things that you may be overspending of like in your day to day.
0: Absolutely. And, um, you know, so in addition to tracking your expenses and income, I recommend for me personally because I do uh, consultations with with a lot of musicians, but also non-musicians, again, I'm not a certified financial planner or anything like that. But just if people want to talk to me about, you know, career stuff and sometimes they They do ask me, Hey, what do you think um, about how I should be saving or what I should be doing with my money? Um, I I try to to stick around a a 30, 30, 40 type of rule. So 30% you have to save for taxes, especially if you're a 1099 and most musicians are, you know, if you get a hundred dollar check, you do not have a hundred dollars. And I see a lot of people spending it or thinking that they have it. And then when it comes to tax time, they don't have any money to pay their taxes. Whose fault is that? That's not the government's fault. That's your fault because you didn't separate it, you know, and because you know that you have to pay the taxes. Um, so I, I tell people if you have a hard time controlling yourself, put, make a separate account. You know, it's free to have a separate bank account at the same ba- bank and just automatically everything that comes into your, your maybe your personal checking, your um, your business checking, whatever it is, automatically move 25 to 30%. Even if it's actually a little bit too much for taxes, it's better to have a little bit of extra than to not have enough, right? And then be scrambling when it comes to tax time. So put that to the side. Um, if, if it's possible, 25 to 30% for savings, and then the remaining 40% or a little bit more if you choose to do less than the other to live off of. Now, uh, you know, of course, it's going to be very, very difficult to live off of 40% if your income is not very high. What can you do? again, the solutions are not pleasant. Uh, most people are not willing to do it. Um, you know, for, for me, I I was able to take things to the extreme because I didn't have a partner at the time. I didn't have any pets. I didn't have any dependents. So I was able to rent a room in someone's house. I even once shared a room uh, on a air mattress that had a hole in it. So every night we would have to wake up like halfway through the night to like blow air into the mattress again. Cause it was like, I mean, that's how like ghetto it was really. That's how bad it was to save money. Like sharing one room with somebody else um, just to save money. It wasn't cause I I didn't have enough. I chose to pay for my cello that I that I purchased, you know, I, I had to pay for other expenses. So I think it's just realizing that, um, if you are in a situation where money is tight, and I think many of us have experienced that or are experiencing that, um, it's going to be painful. Just like, you know, when I tell people I practice for eight hours a day, eight hours a day, I mean, some people do, but, oh man, I don't want to do that. Or that's, oh, that's terrible. That's boring. Like, of course it's boring. Of course it gets boring. No, I don't think anybody enjoys practicing for eight hours a day every day. Um, when you could be hanging out or having fun or going out and, and and going shopping, I don't don't know. But um, you can't get extreme results without extreme sacrifices. So that's all I can say. So if you, uh, I think whatever you put in, you you get out. Um, So whatever you're willing to sacrifice, there will be uh, (laughs) hopefully some rewards to come out of it later.
1: And I like the parallels that I think uh, everyone here is making between the practice habits and the practice ideas that you have with music. And the relationship you have with finance, because a lot of the general concepts stay pretty consistent between them. You know, like you said, if you're putting in eight hours a day to practice and then you're trying to or and then you can translate that knowledge somehow over to the finances and really be able to be tight knit on that. It's it's already a skill that, you know, it may be something that you're not familiar with framing. It may be something where, as we're talking about, you do different things in life, you know, as opposed to sitting down and practicing. But, also, but we're familiar with if it.
2: If you think about it in, in the sense that musicians have like a built-in self-discipline that you need to have to be able to sit there, practice those eight hours and really get to play the music that you need to perform. That's, you know, many, many pages, many, many details. and you need to be able to play it straight through no mistakes at the certain tempo that they need the certain way that they need and if we can apply that discipline to our finances then that's where it's it's really going to you're really going to start seeing the results and i think if you have the discipline to be a you know proficient musician playing wise then you definitely have the discipline to be financially proficient as well
0: Yeah. And it's really important to not think of it as like lack, not think of it as, oh, I can't go out with everyone else. You know, like it's, you think of it as you are um, paying yourself you are really protecting yourself uh, for the future. For maybe you're saving for something. Maybe you are trying to build um, a, an emergency s- fund. Uh, different financial gurus will tell, will say, you know, different numbers: two months, three months of expenses. Um, for me, I'm an extremist. I say at least two years of expenses, you know, because you you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, honestly, with the way that healthcare is in this country, also, one, you know, w- one unfortunate situation, and it can be completely. you know and so if you are depending on your body and your hands to make your living um it, it is i think it is really important to do as much as you can obviously that's an extreme example but as much as you can and then once you get to the point where you're able to put a little bit aside to invest and i always say don't don't invest any money that you can't afford to lose you know just just in case but um if you do get to the point where you can put just a little bit aside, I started off with five dollars a month of investing. I mean, that's I, I really feel like that's pretty that's pretty safe, uh, five dollars a month, and just to put it to the side because eventually, hopefully, uh, aside from any big you know crashes, but again, even this it always goes back up long term. So if you have time, you'll be okay, um, and to have other sources of income that are not related only to your music because it is unfortunately still a very, very narrow because uh, all the examples that I named are still dependent on my music. So I, for me personally, I try to also look for other streams of income that have nothing to do with the music as well.
1: But that's also smart business advice in general. Like even when you hear a lot of your Warren Buffett's and a lot of these people talk about moving investments around, you hear them talking about, don't just keep it in one field, move it around to different companies, watch the market and really see what's volatile, see what's consistent, but there's no fear in moving that around. So I think it's great advice too. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, for, for me, I'm very general, you know, so I have a little bit in uh, a lot of different stocks and it's just, uh, like the, you know, the top 500. Um, and I think over time you can read articles about it and, and look at just the numbers, but over a very, very long period of time, uh, the stock market always does go up, you know? So despite any major dips that we have in the moment, um, and you're right. If you have all of your eggs in one basket, if you have almost all your money into, in one company or even 10 companies, that's pretty dangerous.
1: You said both of your parents are professional musicians as well. Yeah. Um, what is your advice for two musicians who want to have more, or who want to have more of the common American life of a house, kids, family? Uh, do you think it's possible for two musicians to create that kind of lifestyle? I know that often when it comes to musicians, we hear the... Um...
2: More bohemian lifestyle, <laughs> always traveling, and, and you know a lot of musicians live on tour bus. Or they, you know, you picture like them in a tiny house with just their instruments and a dog. But what about the musicians who do want to have more of that casual American lifestyle? Um, well, I don't know
0: if my parents are have a casual American lifestyle, but I guess you know from coming to America with you know, it's one of those stories. With forty dollars, that's all they had uh, from China, uh, and they were students in college at the Hart School of Music in Hartford. You know, studying the cello and the violin um, from Then to now where they have a very nice home, they own a condo and another rental property. Um, And how was that done? Their income never, I mean, their income is not super high. I don't want to, you know, give give out information about my parents' income because that's not Of course,
1: of course. (laughs)
0: um, It's not, it's not- it's not extremely high. I mean, just uh, when we were children, we all, all always qualify for the free school lunches. So, you know, that'll tell you how, how little they were making. Um, but I do remember that we did save um, until it really, really hurt. You know, I never owned a piece of new clothing until I bought one for myself after I was in college for two years, when I was 19 years old, I saved you know, I saved, I saved and I spent way too much. I remember on a clearance sweater at the Beverly Center Armani Exchange, that was like a big moment for me. And it took me two hours of like debating in the store if I should buy it, because $40 is ridiculous for a sweater, actually even now, but back then especially. Um, And so I never own any new clothing. I mean, we were, it's like, Extreme extreme the uh, Burger King when whoppers were on sale. I mean they're only a dollar normally like my parents with sorry mom and dad this is kind of embarrassing. They would buy them in bulk and freeze them. That's not healthy. You know, I'm not saying it was healthy, but it was to those extremes and I didn't understand it when I was young and I was embarrassed and I was angry about it a lot, but now, looking back, I understand why they did it, because now um, they they had to stop teaching, of course, because of the virus situation. And I asked them, are you guys OK? You know, are you going to be fine? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we have more than a year of expenses saved." I was like, oh, wow, that's that's great. That's amazing. Um, and it's only because of how extreme, you know, I mean, we're also Chinese and I think most Asians are pretty frugal and, and careful about money and really, really obsessed with that. But um, I think it's just always being aware that things can stop at any second. You never know what's going to happen. So it's good to be, um, prepared. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it's possible. Uh, we, they were always at home. Neither of them traveled for, for music. And so they're both music teachers. Um, and I guess if you're both music teachers or you just work locally, um, I, I think, is that your question? I think it's possible. You know, they raised two kids, my brother and I, we had dogs, um we live in a house
1: (laughs) so that's a great answer for it too because like you said i think you touched on a variety of things it's not a matter it's a matter of i think when we think of the common american life it is exactly as you said having a house having a kid having you know dogs having animals if that's something you choose but really being able to you know and while the touring life is also great absolutely let's not let's not say that that's not a great thing you know but obviously if you have someone who wants to be let's say more uh, sedentary, let's say, someone that wants to be able to have that house, as you're talking about, have a studio, kind of have a localization to it. I think it's really nice to be able to see both sides. It's really nice to be able to see the musician who can choose to do, uh, tour, who can choose to, you know, hoof it on the road and travel the world. And then also see that a financially stable musician can do the opposite, too. It's not always about having to be on the road. You can find other ways to create uh, more of that steady kind of thing, like you said, where you're local.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially in this current situation, if you already have a lot of music students and you can teach them online, you're obviously in a much better position than someone who's completely dependent on touring. Um, for me, I've toured a lot. I, do, I love to perform, of course, but uh, as I get older, not that I'm old, old, but I'm 34. Um, am I? Thir- yes, I'm 34. Sometimes I how old. I am. Um, And like, I still want to perform, but to be honest, not as much as I used to, I just my I think I've just done it so much that um, I would prefer to be home uh, a little bit more than I than I have been. Um, And I think it's just depends on the person, you know, we can't tell other people what you know what they should do but uh, if they do have a partner that's up to them and their partner to, to duke it out and figure out how it's going to work um, but yeah I, I really think it is possible of course to do anything including music and to make those choices so that you can be home and make a family together and have a home together um, that's not too fragmented and all over the place
1: absolutely and yeah I think that's you know this has been a great conversation for us to be able to really dive into a place where you don't get a lot of I think highlights a lot of the time you get the how can I you know how can I create this amazing music and definitely that's important but we don't often get the chance to really dive into ways to create income and really talk about financial saving habits as a musician so again thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us tonight
0: you're welcome thank you for having me and just remember when you're not freaking out about paying your bills for me it makes me a lot more creative and your mind is free to be thinking about other things so i think it is all one big uh united circular bubble thing that's um there's there's no separation between the two thank you thank you guys i'll talk to you soon